Sequence is loading. Hello, Denny. Do you still remember who I am? Or did I leak out your wiffle ball brain? <laughs> Denny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and love. There you are. Hardly seen you this episode. It's saddening. Get up! From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, you're connected to Boston Illegal. And it's a story of Catherine Get Your Gun, bribery, internet privacy, and Thai Flambe. It's Thursday, February 2, a few days after. No, no, it's not a few days after. It's a long time after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee, and you're listening to Boston Legal. We're the unofficial weekly audio experience of Boston Legal. It's the David E. Kelly produced television show. It's here in the United States on ABC, um, thanks to 20th Century Fox, and also the talented folks down at David E. Kelly Productions. Today's Boston Legal Radio is, what is it, Kyle? It's essentially a conversation. Yes, it is. About the 13th episode of Season 2. Too much information. Ah, TMI. (laughs) A few years ago, that was sort of like the uh, acronym of the... Yeah, the hot phrase. Of the 90s, yeah. (laughs) Well, that you are listening to is Kyle. He's back with us. Thanks for coming back, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Whole new year. (laughs) Yes, it is. I just want to say right off the top of the bat, uh, for those of you who keep track of these things, we didn't do a podcast for Helping Hands. That was the only one we've missed. Wow. I know. It's it's pretty sad. And we might have to go back and do something retroactively. I don't know. But Maybe over the summer during the hiatus. Yeah, because it was an excellent episode. It was. And I do, I do want to point out that I did record a conversation with our um, comparative anthropologist of Trek and Boston Legal. We had a, a brief conversation about the parallels between the two shows. And so you can listen to that on the, uh, on the podcast page. And it's a little taste of helping hands at any rate. Well, Kyle, tell everyone what we're going to do today. All right, we're going to follow a familiar format. We'll start deconstructing the episode, Too Much Information. That will segue into my good, bad, ugly review of the episode. And we'll merge into some Boston Legal News of the Week at the end. And we have sound bites from Tom Selleck, Michael J. Fox, Golden Globe and SAG Award interviews, James Spader's commercials, and Spader and Shatner in Vegas for NAPTI, the National Association of Television Program Executives. So stick around for the end of that part, right after we discuss the episode. We have a lot of news to go through that you really want to hear. Are we going to have Tom Selleck here on the show? Oh, yeah. We're going to have Tom. We have, we have, <laughs> I have his phone number and my cell phone. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we started this a few weeks ago. We dedicated the show to someone every week. And, uh, and next time you get to choose someone, okay? All right. Sounds All right. good. All right. This time, I, it's a little little um, after the fact, but I want to dedicate this show to John Spencer He's um, a fabulous actor that unfortunately passed away December 16 at the age of 58. Probably know he got his big television break. He, he was a movie star before this, but television break on in the fourth year of L.A. Law, which is a David E. Kelly series. So that's when I first became aware of him. Did you watch L.A. Law at all or in reruns? A little bit before my time. Okay, all right. I, I fell in love with him as Leo McGarry on The West Wing. And, yeah, oh. they're, they're in trouble without him. It would be interesting to see how they deal with that story. And yeah. um, I used to read <laughs> read um, uh, fan fiction with Leo McGarry having like a romance with 
Donna Moss. <laughs> oh, boy. That was, like, really fun. That was good stuff. So I'm going to have to go back and reread that. He'll always live on, right? Yes, he will. So, John Spencer, this one is for you. For you. All right. Right to the topic at hand. Too much information. We'll take it storyline by storyline, as we always do. Um, the first thing we'll talk about will be the Internet privacy case, the HMO versus Emily Hayden. We'll touch on Catherine, get your gun storyline. And we'll also touch on Beverly's increasing influence at Cranepool and Schmidt and end, as always, with The Balcony. This 13th episode was directed by Steve Robin and written by Andrew Kreisberg and Lauren Brock. And this writing team previously collaborated on Witches of Mass Destruction, so there's mm-hmm. a little tidbit for you. It's nice to see other writers cycle through. I know David Kelly kind of monopolized the first third like of the ten episodes season. of yeah. this <laughs> Which is all right, and it's great, but you know you can't really tell too much of a. I can't tell any style difference. It, no, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure everything goes through him too, though. They have to pass the David Kelly school yes, of script do. writing. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to mention before we jump into it that um, I have a new Six Degrees fan out there. You know, you and I like to talk about yes. how guest stars relate to other shows and how they've been in the David Kelly stable for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, Sue Sue B uh, has been in active fan of the show in that she is um, posting on message boards and stuff. A lot of the good sort of six degrees relationship of uh, the different actors and actresses in the show. And so I'm going to just go ahead and give my props to her right now because I think I'll use some of her research. She's posted a lot about this episode. So I can't say I looked it all up. She did some too. I think this episode, Kyle, really well as many of them do, kind of epitomizes the whole drama versus comedy or (laughs) the marriage between the two that Boston Legal... I don't know what I want to say struggles with, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just on the fence with it. Yeah. It, you know, the whole, oh, should we make it just a dramedy category? You know, the, the awards having a hard time to, you know. Yeah, well, we saw it at the SAG. Isn't it interesting the clips they played for Ensemble and, and even for, I think, the individual awards? They were not comedy-like no. clips. They were dramatic you know, clips, yeah. actually. There's a history of award shows, even in uh, comedy, car- or comedy categories, giving the awards to actors who also display you know, the capability to act dramatically in their comedic series. Oh, so that would be a, a plus for Boston that Legal. That would be, but then also the fact that Boston Legal is too much in the middle, too much in the gray area in between mm. to be recognized. Whereas you're looking at Sean Hayes, he won as opposed to Spader or Shatner. Right. Uh, and he was, he's like pure genius comedy. Exactly. There's no drama with Sean Hayes. No. Well, <laughs> well <they're laughs> exaggerated. you got to figure that Spader and Shatner probably split some votes. You know, I, I was a little disappointed. We'll get to the old SAG and other award show discussion right after the episode. But let's start out with a soundbite, shall we? We're going to start with the the major serious case, the drama of the drama. episode. Drama. That's the HMO, which is the managed health care kind of, that's an organization, uh, I mean, a, sort of a phenomenon here in the United States. I don't yeah, know if it heard those three letters more than once. Versus Emily Hayden. She was the daughter of a... Well, she, let's let her explain this in this soundbite. This is actually Denise and Alan and then going into a conference with the plaintiff. Could I borrow you for a minute? Opposing counsel has made an offer. I'm trying to get these people to take it. I'm hoping you can explain to them that this is as good as it gets. Do I get a hint? It involves invasion of privacy. A woman... Jackie Hayden, access was gained to her personal medical records. Invasion of privacy, there's an increasingly familiar tune these days. This is a little worse than your typical case of someone being denied a job because of a pre-existing condition. How much worse? He never beat me. Just my mother. I finally got out when I was 16. 
A few years later, Emily's mom, Jackie, came to us at the women's shelter. She was a mess. He promised my dad would never find her there. For obvious reasons, the name, phone number, and location of the shelter are kept confidential. We put Emily's mom in touch with a psychiatrist with post-traumatic stress disorder, the cost of which was covered under her HMO. Unfortunately, the HMO, Well Benefits, posted Jackie's information, including the name and address of her psychiatrist, on their website. Emily's father found Jackie's psychiatrist via the Well Benefits website and tracked her down at the psychiatrist's office. And that's where he killed her. So this is a wrongful death action. And Well Benefits has offered you a settlement? 20000 no admission of liability. Regarding the settlement, I have to agree. Thank you, Alan. Not with you. With you. The offer is insulting. These people need to be taught a lesson. Wow, he's getting on his uh, let's go rescue the, the poor unfortunate horse, isn't he? Yeah, that's, a, that's very Alan Shore. It is, and it's great to see him fight for that and actually go through a whole court case because a lot of times it's in these stories recently, Melissa, I'm thinking, things like that, they settle. Yeah. So we get another great speech. The cross-examination's coming up. It's going to be great. Well, Alan does have that bigger they are, the harder they fall mentality. <laughs> he likes to take on the big cases. So this is just another one of those. You know, you had some very interesting insights in your Good and Bad and the Ugly about the whole privacy. Anything you want to kind of tease us with right now about this sort of privacy being shared on the Internet? It's a difficult issue because, like I said, is it really the HMO's fault? Or is it, I mean, they're just doing their job and it, it did meet standards. But uh, the analogy I made was while they didn't actually kill Emily Hayden's mother, they, they provided the weapon and they should be held accountable for what they did. Interesting analogy. They provided the weapon. Yeah. yeah. Even if they didn't do it on purpose. And it was, it was their negligence that led to her death. And maybe, you know, X amount of million dollars, whatever they ended up, out, ended up awarding uh, Emily. I think you just gave away the ending. No, I'm sorry. Oh, well, we well I hope anyone that. who's listening to this has, <laughs> has watched the episode. You know, I figure it's a deconstruction. They, they expect and sound bites. They expect to uh, yeah. be spoiled a little bit. Now, Alan did mention the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. I didn't know that. It was HIPAA. I've heard of HIPAA before. The HIPAA laws have been around for about a decade. And that's actually the thing that he kind of referred to when he said later on, and we don't have a soundbite for that, that when you go into the, um, you, you sign that little waiver in the doctor's office allows doctors to share the information over the internet. Well, that's kind of true, Alan, but um, it, it actually says they can share it with other doctors. I kind of spell out who they're going to share it with. Well, nothing's really safe on the internet. I mean, while it's a great form, it's very insecure. There is a interesting scene Emily's father is up on the stand, and he's describing, he's being asked to describe the actual incident, how he got the the password, and then what he did to her mother. And she's listening to that, and it's very tragic. And I don't know if she was entirely prepared for that. Yeah. And Alan did take her into the office um, after that testimony. She's just hyperventilating. You know, she was reliving it. He says, here's what you have to know about lawyers. I could have, you sit, I could have sat you down and prepared you for this so as to brace you, and I chose not to. No tears for the plaintiff? No tears for the jury, less money. So one of the ugly things about being a lawyer. He does what he's doing, though. And it, it does work. Yes, it does. Uh, let me play another soundbite, which I think is, again, this is like what I was saying is these guys can write like David E. Kelly, because this is yeah. the cross-examination when Alan talks to the, well, he does, he, he talks at the HMO representative. He and talk about to them. Him, and about them. <laughs> and it's so good. It, just uh, anything you want to say before we start playing this one? 
Now, I would just say you could probably write just about anything on a piece of paper and have James Bader read it for you, and it'd be, it'd be good writing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I read a, a review, I think, I mean, a, actually an interview with Mark Valley, and he was asked about how James Bader prepares for these, you know, big, long court speeches. And he says, well, actually, he practices at home, or he does it all at home. You know, he gets very comfortable with it. Then he comes in. He doesn't block it, I guess. Apparently, he just goes right in and does it. And he will set his own, <laughs> his own sort of tempo. Everybody who else is involved in the scene has to kind of just accommodate that. So he'll stop and he'll restart the scene on his own. It's not like a director thing. <laughs> that's that's the impression I kind of got from the quote. You know, the man knows what he's doing. Yes, he does. So just get out of his way. <laughs> All right. I know I would. <laughs> and this HMO guy is probably wishing he could. Yeah. Mr. Orchard, according to my records, your company generates approximately $1.5 billion in revenues each year. Is that right? Approximately. Oh, forgive me, Your Honor. Before I began my cross-examination, I meant to congratulate Mr. Orchard. His wife recently gave birth to a beautiful baby daughter. Thank you. Eight pounds, 15 ounces. Healthy? Happy? Thank goodness. Yes. She was a bit jaundiced when she came out, though. Had a little fluid in her lungs which needed to be aspirated. Sorry? No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disregard your other children, which so often happens with the arrival of the new one. You have a four-year-old and a ten-year-old. Your Honor. Your Honor, I just thought Mr. Orchard would like to know his ten-year-old Carly likes Max Babcock. Though... Max doesn't know if he likes her back. At least that's what I ascertained from the chat room. Objection. All this objecting. Mr. Javanka, you seem in such a nasty mood. Could it be the new Lexus you ordered online from a broker has been delayed? Gosh, I hope you're not forced to keep driving that sedan with the dent in it from your recent fender bender. Mr. Shore. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, by the way, you need to renew your car registration. <laughs> but congratulations on your colonoscopy. Mr. Shaw! Too personal? It was just information I was able to obtain from websites which employ the accepted business standard for Internet security. That is what you called it, Mr. Orchard, correct? Correct. Here's what I don't understand. You're a billion-dollar company. You're in the business of ensuring the health and well-being of your clientele. And yet, you weren't able to ensure the safety of their records. But you could have done had you spent just a fraction of those billions on Internet security. Uh, my whole family is in the medical field, and they deal with this kind of issue a lot. You know, they're, they're doctors and stuff, and administrators. And, you know, there's a lot more to their side of the story than it's being presented. But since Everything's written from the perspective of yeah. point of view, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and since there are millions and millions of people that have a problem with HMOs, then I think they're probably <laughs> correct to present that viewpoint as well. Yeah, you always championing, championing people. Championing people. Uh, let's quickly run through some of the six degrees of that of that particular storyline. Did you? Did Tom Orchard look familiar to you? Yeah, he's a character actor. He's been around forever. Yes. John Elward. I know him from ER. He's always been the guy that ran yeah. the hospital in Chicago. He was in the first season, I think. Uh, he's also played a judge in season five of The Practice, and he was in Ally McBeal. No surprise yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've looked up. The, I looked him up on IMDb. He's been in every series there is. <laughs> yeah. What a great face. Yeah. And then our attorney, the attorney. You don't hear that much about from him. It's Mark Taylor. He plays the HMO attorney. The character's name is Adam jo- Jovanka. Jovanka. Um, character actor has been in a bazillion other guest appearances, just like, I want to say Anspov, <laughs> you know, as John Alward. Um, he was in three episodes of The Practice, playing three different characters, one of them which is a federal judge. But, you know, again, it's funny to use the same actor, but as a different character. Yeah, David, you could have done that more than one occasion. <laughs> but, you know, last one was even season seven, so that was like 90 or 2002 or something. It's been a while. Right. Um, also been on Boston Public. And, of course, there's the Star Trek contingent. 
He was on Next Generation and Voyager. You want to look at the notes there? You see the the judge, Nora, Judge Nora Lang? Yeah, it's played by Hildy Brooks. She was in another episode of Boston Legal back in season one. So not that long ago. No. That was, um, she was chairman, Nora Lang. Oh, interesting. Chairwoman Nora Lang, Judge Nora Lang. So she was the same character. But back she has in a different title. Title. She's a judge that is also a chairwoman of something or other. I wish I could remember. Questionable characters is the episode. I have to go back and look at that. Yeah, me too. So interesting. We don't have to plug in the soundbite for this, but we have a reveal of a little bit of Alan, Alan's backstory when he does his uh, closing. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. He talks about he's trying to draw an illustration between a look, sneaking a peek at his sister's diaries oh, yeah. and looking at uh, confidential records. So he talked about how he snuck in as a indiscreet little boy and looked at his elder sister's diaries and enjoyed reading that. Now, I kind of remember Alan Shore counseling Lake Bell's character last season where he was saying, you know, kind of make up the story. She used the urban legend of the rabbit, you know, right. kind of thing. Pull a rabbit out. Pull a rabbit out. Out of your skirt. <laughs> this could just be an allegorical history. Of, that of sounds Alan. like one of those stories that might keep in his back pocket for the right situation. <laughs> Do you remember in, I think it was season eight of The Practice, when he pulled out the Uncle Charles uh, in the Eugene, his trial against the um, the firm. Yeah. And he said that, you know, he talked about Uncle Charles who brought the uh, the pie to the family gatherings. I said, oh, again, there may not have been an Uncle Charles. I mean, don't you get the impression that Alan had basically a horrible childhood, probably parents dead or abandoned? You know, I mean, him or something. Yeah, I, to mess him up the way he's been messed up. He was not very well received in Dedham when he went back no. for that arc. And the judge at the time, Edward Abner, <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, said that he was... You know, an incorrigible kind of youth, I think, was the implication. So he's still incorrigible. Of course, we wouldn't have him any other way. <laughs> One more soundbite I do want to play from that arc, which married up a little bit of a, a, a side story. Denise and Alan are working together on this case, much to Denise's you know initial consternation. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't like This is why people probably don't ask you to help them. He says, yeah, probably. <laughs> but she really wanted to settle. Yeah, she wanted it to be over with. Yeah, so shall we just, uh, they had a little late night conversation in um, her office. He wanders into her office, sits down on her couch. She's working at her desk, and he kind of, you know, spreads his arms out, kind of looks very inviting, leaves plenty of room on the couch. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know, come on over, let's talk, or something. I don't know how much everyone knows about her situation with Daniel Post. I don't know either. But um, He must know something. He must, yeah, he must know something. So I don't know if he was actually trying to be overly friendly or just being concerned. I think he's just being Alan. Ah, okay. Well, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Here's what transpired. Hello. Hi. I always feel slightly sick to my stomach when I work alone in the office late at night. I thought you liked being alone. Oh, I love being alone. I just prefer to be alone while there's other people around. So, how are you doing? Fine. I have a rabbi friend with a small gambling problem who, when he hears someone say they're fine, he always asks again until they say something other than fine. So, how are you doing? I'm seeing someone who's dying of lung cancer. And while he is a very wealthy man, he can't buy his way 
out of the secondary cancers that the treatment for the first cancers are causing. And here's the kicker. He, um, Daniel, has completely shut me out of his life. So now I just wait. Denise, I don't know you very well. However, you don't strike me as the type of woman who just waits for anything. Did you hear the emotion being held back in Denise's voice? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not something she's willing to open up with, with Alan, I wouldn't think. No. But when she said Daniel, and she, she kind of held it back with her breath, and then it came out, and it, oh, man, it made my heart, just listening to that made my heart mm-hmm. kind of jump a little bit. Um, although I... I understand you're you're not really buying into the whole mm. Daniel Denise. It's a little forced for me. All right. Why? <laughs> this is just so Alan. I don't understand it. He's like giving his little story about his rabbi friend. Oh, by the way, with a small gambling problem, which has nothing to do with the advice he's giving Denise. No, it's just, it's just funny to say. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's humorous <sighs> to have a rabbi that has a gambling problem. And, you know, maybe that's how he knows him. I don't yeah, know. probably. Because <laughs> he wouldn't just know a straight-on, you know, full-fledged... No, orthodox rabbi, no. No. I found that very moving, and it comes back, as we conclude this whole storyline, it comes back later when she takes his words to heart, and he basically, after the trial is over, he says, are you going to go somewhere? And she says, yeah, I'm done waiting. For all his flaws, he offers some good advice. He does. And what happened with that, the end of that storyline, the one where um, Denise took his advice? She went to see him, finally. He dangled in the hospital. Uh, it was not a very big Michael J. Fox episode this time. It was the one scene at the very end when he's yeah. in the hospital and she's basically gone in to say, you know, it's not fair that you shut me out. But I guess much more coming up next episode. We will look forward to that. Yeah. So our next storyline, what is that, Kyle? Our next storyline is Catherine, get your gun. Oh, Catherine is in trouble again. We're so happy to see her back, are we not? Of course. I thought we might not see her again. All right. This is the opening scene. This is the cold open from... The episode that introduces, um, reintroduces Catherine to the life of crime. Hello. May I help you, ma'am? Yes, you may, dear. Both. Take all the money out of the drawer and put it in a bag, please. Yes. Oh, and, and put some of that delicious beef jerky in there, too. Beef jerky. In a way, I suppose this is all your fault. Oh, dear God, how, Catherine? How is it that you holding up a convenience store suddenly becomes my fault? You said you would hire me as your personal assistant after the firm fired. And I took you at your lying word. Bad, Catherine, bad. (laughs) It was a terrible thing to forget, and I'm sorry. You're in a lot of trouble here. What else was I to do? A gal's got to eat. And robbery isn't as bad as killing a man. And you got me off on that. And you've done wonders with your second chance. Comments? (laughs) (laughs) It's Bernie all over again. Alan seems to sort of be the Pied Piper of repeat offenders, doesn't he? That pun intended there? What's the pun? Piper. Oh, ha! (laughs) That must have been subliminal in my head. Must have been. That's good. There were two holdups, actually. She was a repeat, repeat, a three-peat repeat. Three-peat. Yeah. So she's, she's Same not story. done. A what? 
Same store. <laughs> yes. Oh, was it the same store? Oh, different clerk. Probably. Different clerk. It looked like the same store to me. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's a set. What can I say? Yeah. I just have to play this one little short comment that she made as she's sitting in the police car and Alan's trying to negotiate something with, you know, the cop that he's on a first name basis with. Isn't that wonderful? So. I wonder, maybe it's that uh, they gamble together with that rabbi. Yeah, that's right. Here we go. Poker Excuse me, officer. Can I get my gun back, please? Probably the most classic line ever. <laughs> I love it. Well, silly, I mean, silly woman. This is great. I am so happy with her. I'm in love with her. I She's awesome. She's amazing. She just turned 85, 86. I, you know, I, I don't have the date, the actual age. Just just this month. She glows. Glows? She glows. Aw. I bet she's getting lucky. <laughs> All right. So I just want to say Catherine does, um, of course, get Alan's help. He actually negotiates with the store owner to give him a, well, I don't know, to take his damaged little car and somehow return it with a nice fancy Mercedes or BMW, right? Yeah, make it look a little bit better than it actually is. <laughs> with leather seats? <laughs> so that one has gone away. And But Catherine doesn't seem to be satisfied with that. She seems to be more happy talking about office gossip with the receptionist than she is yeah. with, yeah. So there's something going on. We don't quite know it. We're not right sure. But, but here's a, a very another classic, classic line from um, when Catherine is in the firm. So I heard Lynette's sis didn't go away and they're going to have to lance it. All that and her... Sub- Hello, Denny. Do you still remember who I am? Or did I leak out your wiffle ball brain? <laughs> oh, her. I know we fired. <laughs> Alan, any news of the case? Yes. Well, make it quick because I'm having lunch with Judy. Her husband's again. Well, I have good news. The grocery clerk was too busy driving around in his plush new ride to press charges, and the DA won't prosecute without a complaining witness. What does that mean? Your case is dismissed. You're free and clear. Really? Catherine, this is good news. There are only two get-out-of-jail-free cards in the game, and you've used them both up. And, of course... That's that's the challenge put forth. She has to go for a third because there is no get out of jail free card with a third, yeah. and, and that's when she does do the repeat crime. So well, you, could, you could hear in her voice too when when Alan told her that it was over that quick and she was free to go that she was almost sad. Huh? Disappointed, definitely to be cut out of that world so quickly. No, and she, I mean, because the first thing she said to him was, "It was all your fault. You were supposed to hire me. I was supposed to work with you." She just wants to be in that atmosphere. Her brilliant brain. Needs to be challenged. Yeah, then he isn't going to cut it. He, he do, it does finally occur to him that he needs to engage her in some way to kind of occupy her. Keep her at the firm. But he does, um, before that, he does work out a deal with um, ADA Holly Rains, which she's going to be back next episode. So I'm interested to see how she fits into the story. It's the first time we've seen her. She's ADA, so she's district attorneys, and she's the one basically bringing the, representing the charges against Catherine for her second crime spree, and she decides to plea bargain that um, she let Catherine plead guilty to the misdemeanor possession of a firearm. Never mind that it was pointed at a person, right? And that she actually right. shot something in the store. I don't know what the uh, the laws are there, but I know down here it's ten twenty life about, about guns. Oh, I don't know about there. Sure, you would think so. It's mandatory something or other. Yeah. But she said she'd recommend probation. So Boston, you know, if you're criminal, go ahead and move to Massachusetts. 
Um, or just be connected to Alan Shore. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So she got, um, basically, she was promised no jail time. On the condition of she gets an interview at Corrine Poole and Schmidt. Yeah. That would be ADA. The ADA, not, not Catherine. So it's interesting. Holly wants to leave the district attorney's office, obviously, because what do we learn that Jerry Espenson gets paid some $750,000 a year or something like that? Enough. They pay plenty. Yeah. So no wonder. And uh, so she wants to make it step into private practice. And I think we're going to get a little tease that one of the firm people would like to go back, go into public service, perhaps. So we'll see mm. if there's a oh, switcheroo. You know, Alan's made all these things go away. What's in front of her, Kyle? The new sandwich guy. <laughs> the new sandwich guy. <laughs> now, how could that come to be? How did that opportunity come about? Oh, that would be because the draconian Beverly, like the draconian Shirley, way back when with Brad called her that, fired the other sandwich guy. Right. And we'll get into that in two seconds. Yes, we will. So she wheels up in the last scene, she wheels up her cart, and uh, this is easy lunch for hardworking attorneys. Pesto chicken, veggie wraps, roast beef on ciabatta. <laughs> Come and get it. Sweet muns. <laughs> she had everything in that little cart. Oh, she did. Paul Houston walks up and he says that to Alan, who's looking on proudly like, you know, he just gave birth to this business. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the sandwich business now. I don't know. He just made that assumption, I guess. Alan Shore goes, a silent investor. So, aw, he bought the business for her. Yes, he did. And Sweet is much better a selection than the sandwich guy had. Yeah. You know she's going to be offering sandwiches without bread. <laughs> For the carb-friendly, or the carb-anti-carb people, we do have the final storyline of this episode, Beverly's increasing influence at the firm. And uh, as we know, Beverly was introduced a few episodes back. Denny has fallen in deeply in love with her, primarily, I guess, because she has great sex and she will let him have sex with other people. So <laughs> she's, and she's attractive. You, to Denny, you can't beat that. No, it's like, I love you. That was the first time he said it is when she could, you could have sex with whoever you want. <laughs> Beverly. So this is how she introduces, this is like the second scene of the episode. This is how um, draconian tendencies are being displayed. And it's being observed by Brad, this little exchange between Beverly and the sandwich cup. And she's taking liberties with Denny's, Denny's power. Indeed. Um, do you have anything without bread? These are sandwiches. They have bread. Well, there's a thing called protein style. Yeah, if it don't have bread, it ain't a sandwich, and I only do sandwiches. Do you know who I am? I am Denny Crane's fiance. Yeah? So? Hey, Mr. Chase, roast beef and a Vardy. Oh, man, I, I meant to look up the sandwich guy's pedigree because I've seen him. That voice is great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care who you are. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the last thing he said on that floor. <laughs> yeah. Because she basically yeah, marched off and uh, had Denny fire him. Or she fired him and said it was from Denny. I don't know. I don't think Denny really even probably... He doesn't know what's there. going on. No, he doesn't. He's too busy having a manicure. <laughs> <laughs> or actually, this is the scene where um, Shirley walks up and is all a flutter because Beverly fired the sandwich guy. And, uh, you know, he's like, oh, be careful. I mean, you know, you're hurting my cuticles. He's more interested in that. And about the happy ending that has been offered him. <laughs> yeah, do you know not what a, today. Do you know what a happy ending is? Uh, of course I do. Uh, okay, I, I guess everybody must be yeah. by now. But those who don't, it's just something that Denny probably normally gets and he had recently with Beverly in the office. Yeah, he doesn't need it anymore with Beverly. The partners, the three partners, the trio, the the, the trilogy, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost of um, Crane, Poole, and Schmidt 
are realizing there's an issue. She's going to be just like all the other ones. They're going to have to put their foot down and try and inrun her manipulative tactics to take over the firm, right? Yeah. So this is what happens when um, after Shirley has demanded that Denny rehire the sandwich guy. Uh, sorry, folks. Talked it over with Beth. The sandwich guy still out. Okay. We need to deal with this now. We need to deal with the sandwich guy instead of the multi-million dollar Blake merger. No, Bev's influence on Denny. Now, believe me, that's next on my agenda. Bev fired the sandwich guy. I went to Denny, he talked to Bev, and the sandwich guy is still fired. <sighs> it's Angie all over again. Or Marsha. Or Clovis. From what I've seen, Bev is much more formidable than any of the previous Mrs. Cranes. If she gets Denny to take his name off the door, people will think the firm's in trouble. Clients will stampede out of here. I have an idea. I realize I haven't been partnered for very long, so let me ask you both. How much discretion would I have to make this Bev problem go away? No chopping off fingers. No violence of any kind. None. I promise. Then you have as much discretion as you need. I think the um, TV Guide hot list, they, they recommend shows to watch, and they chose Boston Legal. Actually, I think it was the first time I've seen them highlight Boston Legal. Brad Chase goes all godfather <laughs> as he tries to make Beverly an offer she can't refuse. Oh, no, no, no. You didn't say that, right? I didn't? No. Go ahead. He tries to make Beverly an offer she can't refuse. <laughs> oh, man. Brilliant. Thank you. All right. An actor among us. <laughs> All right. So d- d- this is a scene where he does try and uh, make an offer, except he, he sounds like just a negotiator. <laughs> you know, hostage yeah. negotiator, maybe. She is not budging either. Now, Brad, did you really ask me here on business, or are you trying to do a little move-in on Denny Crane's girl? Just business. I'm here to talk about you and Denny. Well, we're very much in love. If anything changes, though, I'll let you know. Well, as you know, Denny's been married several times, and each time it's ended in divorce, and each divorce has been traumatic and ultimately costly for Denny and Crane Poole and Schmidt. Don't worry about it, Brad. I'm sure I'm going to sign any prenup that Denny wants me to. This isn't about a prenup. This is about avoiding the turmoil of marriage and divorce altogether. You lost me. I'll make it simple. I'm prepared to give you $500,000 right now if you walk away and never have any contact with Denny Crane ever again. Save us a lot of money, time, and grief. But I want you to know that we will aggressively fight to keep you from exercising any control over Denny or the firm.
Well, that, w- that was a visual. Uh, the visual needs to be explained, Kyle. Why don't you tell us what we just uh, heard? While we're talking, uh, Bev re- reaches over and grabs Brad by the tie and pulls him up. And just out of frame, I suppose, um, she is holding his tie to the candle that's in the middle of their table. And um, Brad doesn't quite understand why she's told him he'll be pouring his wine all over himself until he looks down and realizes that his tie is caught fire. Yeah, and then he does actually put it out with the wine. How embarrassing for him. <laughs> yeah, especially since she was right. The music definitely leads you to believe that it was a very poignant moment and that she would just felt highly insulted. Not that, as Brad will suggest in this next soundbite, that maybe she considered it for just a moment. But I don't know. You know, I'm starting to think Beverly isn't as manipulative as maybe we're supposed to believe. I don't know. It did sound pretty sincere when she said she loved him. Yeah. It did. And, you know, who wouldn't go for the half mil, you know? Right, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, if she's in love with him, she wouldn't. So a manipulator would, I would think. This is how um, Brad takes the information back to the other partners. What in the hell were you thinking? Well, you both gave me discretion to make her go away. But she didn't go away. So you made this insane offer, put the firm at risk for nothing? When this gets back to Denny, and it will, he is going to blow sky high. Now Bev has a chip to play against us. Bev turned down the offer that I made her. She was very offended. She, um, set my tie on fire. Oh, God. But before she turned me down, she hesitated. Just a little bit. But she hesitated. (laughs) This is going to get ugly. I love that little B.B. King kind of... Yeah. That's classic Boston legal music right there. It is indeed. He thinks that there may be still some, I don't know, there may be still some things to be done, but I don't know if they're going to try anything more now. They just feel like they're in, they're sort of hanging out there and Denny's going to get mad. Like they fear, fear Denny somehow. Um, oh, they could probably just trick Denny into thinking that it never even happened. That's right. <laughs> that pretty much ends the story of Beverly at this point, uh, more to be continued. Obviously, I think she's going to use this knowledge in order to blackmail. So there's a quality woman right there. Blackmail gets some uh, help from Brad, that uh, yeah. that maybe, you know, she'll keep quiet about this situation. Oh, by the way, you know, when he said, uh, you know, I don't say these words, but he said crap <laughs> when his um, tie was on fire. I, I got a glimpse at a, at a future script where the word, the F word is, is liberally used. Wow. In the script. So I'm interested to see how that will actually translate to actual airtime. <laughs> Frick. Frick. <laughs> Will they beep it out? Will they, you know, get all cable on us and go ahead and let it play? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So I think the writers just had a field day. It'll yeah. go through network notes and they'll have to take it out. <laughs> they just like poking people. We have one more soundbite to play from this episode. How do we always end our shows? We always end just like the show with the balcony. Wow. Hasn't that been just like like clockwork? Yeah. And I think there's a part that you particularly enjoyed. Do we tease them right now and tell them to li- listen for it? This balcony scene? do with the word episode. Oh, episode. There you are. Hardly seen you this episode. It saddens me. Tough case? Yes. Lack of privacy in the Internet is complicated and overwhelming. It doesn't scare me. My life's an open book. So you wouldn't mind if someone tapped a few keys and discovered you have mad cow? I don't care. I tell everybody I meet anyway. <laughs> Ever looked yourself up on the internet? I have. 
Penny Crane, legal genius. What about you? No. I don't want to know me. Oh, I know you. You're not so bad. So I met this girl. You did? Irma Levine. She gives me a bit of trouble. Take her to my wedding. We just met. Haven't I just met? We're the ones getting married. You are, aren't you? Ah. You know, I'm not the first person to say this, so it's like everybody will know, but that's what they call the, the, the whole episode comment. That's what they call the, the fourth wall, which Kyle, school us a little bit on the fourth wall. How, how's that used in television? I'm sorry? The concept of the fourth wall falling down in television. Have you seen no, it? I can't say for Oh, that. then I can teach myself. So you've seen it actually in Boston Legal, not knowing that was a term, but that's when they will make references to real life situations, you know, like Denny saying he won the Emmy. Or right, you, right, you know, right. That kind of thing. And you see it on like Malcolm in the Middle when um, Malcolm turns to the camera and addresses the camera, that kind of thing. So it's it takes us out. It's jarring a little bit because people want to be, you know, kind of like they're in this other world. Oh, yeah, it sucks you into the show. But then those that don't mind that, you know, not purists, they're like, all right. <laughs> right. How we love this. And I loved the other reference to, have you ever, you know, he didn't say Googled. You ever Googled yourself? You ever looked yourself up at the end? Oh, I have. Of course, who hasn't? Yeah. <laughs> and he would because he's like Mr. Technology and he's got his own website that he's actively involved in. Right. And posts to. And I'll just say this one thing. Cause I, okay. Anybody doesn't know, I have this website, jamesspader.org. Duh. And uh, <laughs> I've been doing that for a few years now. It's actually pretty, you're not getting updated very much now with Boston Legal. And I never, from the moment I started, I've been doing websites for a long time, never once, ever, ever, even allowed myself to be deluded or fantasize that Spader would ever look at it. He never striked me as the kind of guy that wants to know any talk about him. He wants to insulate his own little world. And I think that's a little bit of him coming out there, too, as well as Alan Shore. Don't want to know what people think about him. Right. I agree. I do know that some people have, from Boston Legal, and the cast and crew, have, producers have looked at the Boston Legal site. I am positive. Spader never has. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't seem the type. No, no, he's he's real. You know? Yeah. He's not into the hype. And, oh, man, we'll play this clip soon, but when he's at the SAG Awards, Ryan Seacrest throws that cam- throws the microphone in his face and says, it's all about you, it's all about you, and you can just see him cringe, you know, and walk away. <laughs> it's like, this never yeah. wants to be about him. He hates yeah. these things, right? That brings us to the very end of the episode, Too Much Information, Kyle. That's we a good one. I'm curious how um, Beverly and Catherine will get along. They are so alike. Can you just imagine? Yeah, Can you imagine the fireworks? Oh, boy. <laughs> She'll call it if she sees it. Catherine will. Yes, she will. And yeah. Beverly will give it right back to her. <laughs> I can't wait. I know. It'd be great. I wonder if there will be a scene. Let's talk a little bit about the next episode. What's it going to be called? Breast and show. I oh, love the pun. Just emphasize that word, huh? What's it again, <laughs> Kyle? That would be breast and show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, should we play a little preview, let people hear what it sounds like? Let's hear it. Next on Boston Legal. I thought you might want to go to a funeral. Hoppers? No, it's mine. Your funeral's in a bar. Yeah, well, funeral home's closed too early, and they don't have beer. I heard there were 400 breasts, and you kept them all to yourself. This woman was arrested as part of a political protest. If she's convicted, she'll be forced to register as a sex offender. I'll never be able to guarantee you a job, but I promise... I know you think this is about me being mad at Crane, Poole, and Schmidt, but it isn't. This comes straight from my boss. Denny, you don't even know what this case is about. I don't have to know what it's about in order to try it. Denny Crane. I heard you had 400 breasts all to yourself and you wouldn't share them. 
<laughs> this is a this is a political or this is a protest. I guess a bunch of women took off their shirts in the protest. And oh boy, what are they protesting? Well, we'll just have to wait and find out. Yes, we will. But I think I have something. It's a political protest. I think I have something up on the website about it. You can go look. So if you want to see, you can. But if you don't want to know, and uh, oh, and we have a little blurb. I mean, uh, the video preview running there on the website, but you just see the backs of the women, so nothing to, you know. I'm sure we won't see anything like we saw of Edwin Pool. Catherine's, oh, yes, oh my goodness. Catherine's <laughs> back with, uh, I enjoyed that. Catherine's back, well, she's, um, being the sandwich lady, she's gonna be using, oh, Garrett's office to, uh, oh. kind of do her accounting work for her business. Garrett. They're kicking him to the bottom floor. Oh, <laughs> he's, I'm so glad that we're gonna see Garrett some more, though. That's great. He's getting a cubicle. <laughs> and you heard a little bit about, uh, from, in that preview, ADA Holly Rains. She's back. You know, she's the one I wanted in the interview. Doesn't sound like it maybe it went well. And it doesn't sound like she's willing to, she's, I think, the one that's, um, opposing Alan in this breast case. And so, you know, this is coming straight from the top. It's not me. I'm not sour grapes. And, uh, we never really talked about Irma Levine in this episode, but I think she is the one, is she not? The women's shelter owner? Yeah. That will be heading up this protest. And Alan is sort of, you know, like he said in the balcony scene, she troubles me. Which is an interesting way of saying that he likes her. Yeah. You know, and Daddy picked up on it right away. Oh, yeah, yeah. She troubles me means, you know, I'm interested. It's like you smell good. It's just a euphemism. Exactly. Uh, D.A. Scott Berger is, um, in this episode, he's D.A. Um, in this episode, he's called Scott Berger. In, in Truly Madly Deeply, which was that Cow and Clowns episode from a while back, yes. he was D.A. Scott Bodner. No, I'm sorry. Did I get that switched? Anyway, he's, he has a slightly different name in both episodes. So be, what that is all about, same guy. Maybe they just flopped up. Again, with the, uh, I don't know if you listened to the podcast last time you weren't on, but we had a little thing about names and, and the recurring characters and stuff. I think they just get confused sometimes with the amount of actors that they bring back to play same and different characters. That's right. Well, and, and also this is guy, Scott Berger, that will be in this episode and was in Truly Madly Deeply, was in season eight, the Paul Stewart arc back in Mr. Sher Goes to Town, Pre-Trial Blues Coming Home, back in 2004, the last season of Practice. Right. He played a different character there. Wasn't that long ago? So Maybe they're just trying to confuse us into not noticing these things. We'll have been two weeks without an episode. Now, when this episode comes back, when we go to Breston's show... As far yeah. as I can tell, I don't know, I can't really predict all the way out, but certainly through the end of March, uninterrupted episodes. Hey. <laughs> all right. You can't blame ABC for the presidential, you know, state of the union no. address. That was going to happen no matter what network you're on. Yeah. But uh, we, we're going to go, you know, a sweep. All right. Unless Barbara Walters comes back. Uh, this time we, <laughs> Barbara, and actually we'll be hearing from her in a few minutes on, we, we have a little clip from The View and Tom Selleck talked about Boston Legal today all right and normally we talk about um the trek star trek and boston legal similarities right here deb has prepared a wonderful document which is posted up on our trek page off of boston-legal.org just go boston-legal.org forward slash star trek and you'll see the parallels on the too much information there's great pictures and a write-up about beverly and how she relates to the star trek universe and of course the boston legal all right Time for some news. Let's quickly run through. Wow, we've got a lot of stuff here. Ratings. This was a huge week for too much information, wasn't it? Yes, it was. 12.9 million viewers, which is a series high. Series it, uh, high. A that's series incredible. high. That's a, that's a big deal. It won its time period in total viewers and the key demo, adults 18 to 49. 
and it delivered season highs in both needs and Nielsen measures, so both of both the overall viewers and the key demographic. Wow. While the competition wasn't as, you know, stiff as it can be, Law & Order SVU was a rerun, and CBS's Love Monkey did do so well. Still, great, great ratings for this episode of the series, and it's a part of an upward trend over the last couple episodes, I believe. There is a graph. Uh, on our forums, if you go to bostonthislegal.org and click on the forum, go to the the ratings thread. Uh, we have two wonderful people that are totally obsessed with the ratings, unlike you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Top Dog, one, 1001, and Sue B., the aforementioned Sue B. of the Six Degrees fame. Right. Just track both the... In fact, they've tracked both Season 1 and Season 2 to date. They graph it out with the competition and or the lead-in, which is Commander-in-Chief, to see how it does with the lead-in, because... I think the the word was well, Commander Chief's you know bringing a lot of audience to Boston League. Well, the fact of the matter is, we're actually beating Commander Chief now, aren't we? Yeah. Before there was retention. Now it's like people are tuning in at ten o'clock, uh, which is odd too because Gina Davis just picked up the Golden Globe, didn't she? It is. Well, you know, yeah. Arrested Development. You can't always go by what you like and what the uh, Academy members like. But True. I hope it does. I like Commander Chief a lot. It's not. It's a good show. They have a podcast, you know, an official podcast. Ah, uh, I know. <laughs> I, I actually wasn't too keen on the host. Really? A little bit like a hired, boring, script-reading voiceover. Blah, 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 yeah. Blah. But, you yeah. know, they got an interview with Gina and all the other people, so that's what you get when you get official. But you need Lucky. fans to run the podcasts. I'm not just speaking. People who care. Care passionately. You don't just Who pay aren't getting paid. Right. Well, hey, well. Lunch. We'd like to get paid, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. But something about the starving, passionate fan, it just makes more... It's yeah. from the heart. It really is. <laughs> right, Kyle, we got some uh, dates. Why don't you run down some interesting calendar Yeah, the, the calendar, February 7th, which I guess from this day will be not too long. That's James Spanner's birthday. Mm. Uh, a little awards alert for Boston Legal. February 19th, the ACE American Cinema Editors, the Eddie Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Neal, who's been nominated and has won an Eddie before, is nominated for the episode Ask Fat Jungle. And uh, also, February 25th, the NAACP Image Awards, uh, we have Carrie Washington, who played Shalina Hall, nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. Cool. So check that out. And go to the forum. We track all these um, categories and these awards and have pictures from the awards and stuff, too. Well, uh, the SAG Awards just went zipping by this past weekend, and as you may know, Boston Lake was nominated in four different categories, which is more than any other television show. That was really good. No wins. Yeah. <laughs> so they got uh, it, both Shatner and Spader for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy, and Candace Bergen for the Actress Version, and then the Ensemble. Yay! What everybody was. So everybody, they took up two tables, didn't they? Yes, they did. And did you watch? I watched. Were you sad? I was, I was crying. Eh, yeah. In a way, it was, I think they all had a good time. I know that. They did. <laughs> some of the, the guys had never been nominated for anything in, you know, in the ensemble. I'm, right. I mean, Mark Valley was quoted in uh, an Associated Press article about it. Like right there in the second paragraph, he says, you know, I just love standing next to George Clooney. And yeah. you know that uh, Justin Mantell was happy. I think I heard he brought his mom. Isn't that sweet? That is very sweet. I saw Ryan Michelle Bathay, by the way. That's how we say her last Bathay. name. Bathay. Bathay. She has a little accent. Yeah. And Rona was there. And All right. Rona Micha and also Monica Potter. 
was there. So it's great to have the... It was very nice to have everyone together. Yeah. And I hope they just... It's nice just to be nominated. Just to be nominated. Exactly. Well, you know, the fact they were all nominated and, you know, there's only six 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 shows nominated. So they're the top six in, you know, that year by their peers. Even though we went over, over four. We've already said it once. No need to dwell. All right, my bad. <laughs> so on the red carpet, though, I was really happy to see that um, Ryan Seacrest snagged Candace, who had snagged Spader. I'm sure, he, you know, she yanked him off, you know, to come off and talk to someone because it's not his favorite thing. Do you want to hear right. what... Uh, I have that interview right here. Let's hear it. Okay. Oh, with Candace Bergen and James Spader from Boston Legal. Congratulations on everything, guys. Great to see you. Thank you. You too. Now you're holding his... Oh, you were holding his hand because you said... Does he get a little nervous when we do these things? Well, he, he, sometimes he can get surly. No, he can't. He, <laughs> he doesn't really enjoy doing these things. But you have to see him because he's he's the only this has one. has changed everything, though. It's really the company you keep, I find. James, why don't you enjoy these things? It's all about you. We're bowing to you. We're calling your name. Right there. James right there. That's it, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Uh, the character you get to play really is one of the greatest characters of all time on television. Yes. Don't you think? Yes, I do think that. And the hot factor on your show. I mean, the chicks, Candace and everybody, the hot I, factor. It's really unlike Core TV. I think, Ryan, that I qualify for a chick, but thank you. Yes, no, you she does. Yes, she, she do. You should hear the way they talk behind your back. Tell her. Yes, we do. Chick is not, believe me, chick is very, very benign. <laughs> they compared to everything else. Why is it you think that this show has uh, been such a breakout hit? Uh, these guys and great writing and tackling incredibly strong issues. You are so poised and powerful, it's almost scary. Like, you're amazing in person. A lot. <laughs> yes, you have. And you've mastered it. It's great to see you. Continued success. Thank, Thank you, Candace. You. See, you should love this stuff. It's all yes. about you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's all about you. Did Ryan just call Candace scary? Uh, powerful and poised. Which was scary to him. Right. You know, because he's a little wimpy guy. Well, he's like four feet tall. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's just, while we're on the whole interview of, on the red carpet thing, uh, let's hark back to Golden Globes, which was January 16. We hadn't done a podcast since then, so why not play Candace's interview with the Golden Globes? This time, <gasps> Horrors of Horrors. Who interviewed her? Isaac Mizrahi. Yeah, he, he's... The Groper. The Groper, I know. He's stuffed his hand down someone's chest, looked down someone's chest. He was like, his favorite well, it's question. It's okay because he's gay, so he's allowed. Yeah, he's allowed. He's safe. It's like... Tell me about the underwear you're wearing. <laughs> that was the big thing. Or think, not wearing. Yeah, I hope he. I think he was kind of decent to Candace. Let's listen to what happened with Isaac and Candace. Thank you, Isaac. Isaac. Yes, here I am, darling. I'm here with the fabulous Candace Bergen. Hello, Isaac. I watched you walk down that carpet, and I thought, wow, she is gorgeous tonight. Isaac, from you? No, seriously, seriously. How long did it take you to put this all together? Oh, well, it was my friend Jane Ross who did it, and oh, it's Isaac. Michael Kors and Beautiful. Kathy Waterman, and, um, and, it, and it took uh, some time. Well, you have a lot of experience with fashion. She goes way back with fashion design. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Have you always been like into clothes? A little. I, I'm also into comfort, but uh, oh, okay. I. But yeah, this is. That's a nice handbag. I so want to see what's inside of it. Will you hold oh, this almost, for me, please? Almost I nothing. just want to see. Nothing, I just want to check also out. Broken, the class how do you open it? Work. Oh, a little so, makeup. It's, oh, it's, oh my it's, God! It's, I won't show that on national <laughs> television. <laughs> Candace Bergen, shame on you! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I love your hair. I love your hair. Thank you. I want my hair to look like that someday. Well, you come to our set and it. Will. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Realizing. We're going back to Juliana. Oh, I enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> wasn't too bad. Uh, some other news. We want to move on from the red carpet. 
DVD news. Ah, we have DVD news. Which is unlikely. I didn't expect to see this scene as the practice hasn't been put on DVD, and I just didn't expect to see it for Boston Legal. But mm-hmm. you can expect to see, uh, according to the digitalbits.com, Boston Legal, the complete first season, to arrive on DVD from Fox, which is odd because the show is not produced by them, sometime in the first half of 2006. Oh, you know what that was? I think I maybe um, quoted that wrong a little bit because. They were talking about Allie, Allie McBeal maybe coming out too. That was ah, fun. okay. So you're right. I may have gotten the references wrong. My apologies. That's okay. But ABC might be doing that. And now this is in the rumor mill section of the digitalbits.com. But I also saw it mentioned in another place, and I don't know if they're just attributing the digital bits, you know, but uh, I don't know. It might happen. It's all because of the music rights. That's what they said. Yes. This makes it prohibitively expensive to put out DVDs. Yes. So we might not see all these songs <laughs> we, we were used to from season one. You can just listen to them at the end of every one of these podcasts. There you go. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be playing something from Helping Hands at the end of this podcast. Look to that. Yeah, look for that. You definitely want to hear it. And, and the other rumor going out, which indeed is a rumor, we had unsubstantiated reports on, posted at Live Journal and uh, some other message board that it had been, Boston Legal had been picked up for season three for, for 2006-2007. And I kind of put it up there, but I said, you know, as we need official confirmation, it hadn't hit the mainstream. But one one person said they'd ran into Renee Abujuan over at a convenience store and asked, you know, love you. You guys can come back. And he said, yeah, we, we're going to have season three. Hmm. Anyway, so I was happy to get this, um, to, to go ahead and email. I had one contact at ABC, one contact at David E. Kelly, and heard back from both. So uh, from Harry Lynn, who is the vice president of ABC.com, was a little more vague. He says, I can't speak to your renewal question. Sorry, happy face. But he said I could send him his res- my resume. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's been really nice. He used to work up here in Seattle um, for the Disney Internet Division version. And then now cool. he's vice president of ABC.com. So we had a little bit in common there. And then uh, I, I emailed my contact over at David Kelly. And yesterday, actually, yesterday afternoon, got a phone call. Hey, this is Dana. Hi, this is uh, Stacy Lutz from David E. Kelly Productions. You know, and I'm like swallowing and blinking and like, oh, oh, hi, hi, yeah. <laughs> so it was great. She actually called me, which was wonderful, and said she's like been a spokesperson for many, many years at David E. Kelly. Well, she said she'd not heard yet from ABC about the renewal. A decision hadn't been reached, and she said that we would we should really keep all our everything crossed. Because they're really hoping they want good luck sent their way. So everybody out there, why don't we do one of those, I don't know, Art Bell sort of coast to coast kind of little mind trips where we all think right now, good luck to Boston Legal, ABC, renew them. You know, let's spend a minute after the podcast is over. Okay. It, I have a feeling it'll happen. I, I'm a little dubious about Harry Lynn's uh, quote because it's it's not a denial. <laughs> no. I'm sure it's a negotiation, don't you think? I would think so. I well, think with know. the ratings, the actors. The recognition. I, yeah. I don't want to jinx it, but I think we can look forward for more the, of Boston. More money either for that or more minutes. You know, David Kelly doesn't like the 41 minutes they get right now. He wants 45 no. or something, so maybe it's yeah. that. They're probably looking over at how Arrested Developments got booted from one and, and you know, what Showtime's looking at them. And, you know. Yeah, well, I've heard there might still be a chance. Also, moving on to the news, we mentioned this at the top of the show, um, that be the National Association of Television Program Executives, um, we're going to be seeing both William Shatner and James Spader in Vegas. Oh, actually, we already saw them, I'm sorry, on January 24th. And Danny, you have a soundbite for that? I do. 
I don't gamble because I'm destined to lose. Last stop, Vegas, baby. William Shatner and James Spader hit Sin City to promote Boston Legal. Down the strip, Megan Mullally celebrated her new talk show with a party at the Palms Nightclub Ghost Bar. That's about all we got. I was Access Hollywood Billy Bush. <laughs> wow. I just had a clip just for a second of uh, Spader and Shatner. At least the name was mentioned. Yeah, that's right. We always like to see that. You know, during this time, too, in January, is the press tours that go on. And ABC had their press tour, um, I think it was a couple weekends ago. Okay. And Stephen McPherson got up and he talked about the Dancing with the Stars, the Desperate Housewives, every show. Not one mention that we could find of Boston Legal. I mean, and oh, many people boy. were looking. So, I don't know. They, it's just weird. They mentioned, No love. No love no for this love. show. Or else they felt supremely confident about it or... Maybe yeah. they weren't going to renew it, so why talk about it? I don't know. I don't want to start that rumor. No. But, I mean, no, they talked about invasion and, uh, anyway. Isn't invasion crapping out? Oh, sorry, I probably shouldn't speak like that's, that. That's all right. I'm used to it. Brad says it. I guess it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in its scores lower. Yeah, right, than Boston Legal. But I suppose that's why it needs a little resuscitation. Maybe. So, anyway, we don't know why. But at least the actors got out on that Vegas circuit. Also, I just want to give you... I'm not going to give you um, a spoilers, but I'm just going to mention that we've got scoops on two future episodes. Um, we get first look at a lot of these, so there's... I'm just going to give you the titles, and you can go to the website if you want to hear more. We have a little bit of teaser information if you want to hear it. Yep. I guess March 14, which is episode 19. It's called Stick It, and uh, it's not announced anywhere yet. If you, I guess... I will say this, that uh, it involves Paul's daughter, Rachel. She's in there. Uh, Denise goes out on a date. And uh, Melissa. Melissa is back. She's going to be in trouble again, a financial trouble. Oh, God. What has she gotten herself into now? Oh, three initials, the I-R-S. Oh, the dreaded IRS. (laughs) And Denise is now obviously reeling from the aftermath. She's going to have a very troublesome dream sequence that helps her try and break down emotional walls. Sequences are always fun. Yeah. Okay. March twenty-one, which is the episode after that, which would be episode twenty. Which, by the way, that would leave seven more episodes if they go the full season after that. Twenty-seven. Wow. Uh, entitled Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Wow. What could that be about? Do you remember there was like a Disney movie? Chitty Chitty. Like a car that blew or. or yeah. Like that. Well, there is a contraption in this episode. It's a rickety ancient contraption, much like the car in that Disney movie, um, and it is. <laughs> there's a custody case about this contraption. So, yeah, probably we'll just say that. But Shirley is on one side of the this legal case, and a reoccurring character now, that would be the Tom Selleck character, is opposing Ooh. counsel. All so right. that is Scoop. I knew about this uh, earlier in the week, that now he's in a second script, because we all know he's coming up here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and then... In a few minutes, we'll play a little soundbite when he was on The View today, and he also, he revealed the scoop, so he said that he was going to come back. Did I give away too much? Oh, well. Oh, well. People know this about our podcast. We, we do tend to say, I do tend to say a little more than I should. And Catherine will be back in that episode. Oh, oh. Look forward to that. Uh, side updates. We just want to say that we've got the full transcript up, up from too much information, thanks to I'm a Mess, who types away like crazy. Um, our music page is filling out really nicely, but I would love to have more people um, post there. We have a place where you can just put your comments if you recognize a song. We're trying to keep track of all the songs on the episode, and we've got a lot of work to do because I only just started it a few a month or so ago. And okay. big news. Kyle, what's the big news? What did we just launch a couple days ago? 
we just launched the Boston Legal Forum at boston-legal.org. We're only a year and a half late doing that. <laughs> now, you're my moderator, right? I am. I'm We're both going to make sure everybody stays colors within the lines, that we don't bash each other over Democrat and Republicans. Yeah, let's not get into the witches and mass destruction. Thing. Oh, we don't want to relive that one. And no. The, the, but it's it's popping up. It's only been a couple week, a couple days. I'm sorry, and a lot of people are starting to post. We've got categories for everything. We encourage everybody to express their read the rules first, though. Yes, make sure you read the rules first. Right up at the any, top. If you have any questions, you can you can email us. Um, now we're going to jump into. We're going to take out to the rest of the show. We're going to play some wild and crazy sound bites from various different um, entertainment shows. We got something actually from Mad TV. We got a. All things you talked about at the very beginning, but let's just start it out with um, in quick succession. We'll start it out with a few seconds of Denny on Access Hollywood, you know, talking about his kidney stone. I wanted to pass away out of the shame and the pain. Thousands paid for William Shatner's kidney stone, but why? Lights, camera, stone. Weird. And I promptly deleted the actual interview from my TiVo, so that's all we got is the teaser. Oh, darn. Next up, we have um, more on the kidney stone. I liked this one because the I got an email just at the same day, I think, that they announced the whole kidney stone thing. got an email from a, a guy who works for uh, People Magazine, He does, uh, and he works for WCBS. So he was looking, he does like these little entertainment moments that are on the radio across the country. He was looking for a soundbite of Denny Crane saying Denny Crane. So he turned to me, haha. <laughs> and I supplied it with him, and you'll hear it in his little entertainment clip, which I just thought I'd play it right now. I read the news today, oh boy. John Lennon's handwritten lyrics for the Beatles tune, A Day in the Life, are on the auction block. The original manuscript went on sale yesterday, which was the 39th anniversary of the day Lennon read the news in London's Daily Mail about the death of Guinness heir Tara Brown. He was a friend of all the Beatles. Bottoms Auction House says the sealed bidding will end on March 7th and that the lyrics could go for more than $2 million. And William Shatner sold his kidney stone for $25,000. The actor made the deal yesterday with GoldenPalace.com. He rejected their original offer of 15000 because his Star Trek outfits have gone for more than $100,000. The money will go to Habitat for Humanity. For People Magazine, I'm Danny Crane. Vinnie Marino, <laughs> WCBS 880 News. I'm Denny Crane was from us. <laughs> oh, speaking from, oh, I got to just say this really quickly. Speaking from, and this is going to sound braggy, but I don't know. I'm just excited about it. Uh, speaking from official organizations turning to me, I don't know when they want to talk about Boston Legal, I guess. Um, <laughs> the SAG Awards at sagawards.org have pages for all the nominees, the categories. So if you go to the best ensemble, ensemble for comedy series page on sagawards.org, you have all six nominees, Will and Grace, Curb Your Enthusiasm. They all have the Desperate Housewives. They have the official um, logo from the series. And then when it comes to Boston Legal, did they go get the official logo? No, they got yours. Yeah, they, they grabbed mine. That was weird. I mean, not that I heard it. In fact, it was a good friend of Justin Mattel's who told me about this. Interesting. Which he, and I thought that was, first of all, it's kind of cool to hear from a friend of Justin's. And yeah. second of all, it was just really neat to... To think that they, although they make it such a tiny, tiny little logo that you can't actually read that it says Boston Legal, but it does have the faces of the ensemble, which the other ones are all text-oriented logos. So anyway, enough right. of that. We promised to 
give you a little soundbite from Michael J. Fox. This was actually aired on The Insider on January 11, 2006. I think I have a video clip, I believe, up on the front page. But uh, who's that Insider guy? Pat? Pat? Mm. Pat? I know who you're talking about. Pat, the guy that got in trouble last year. Anyway, he's talking to Michael J. Fox. William Shatner, James Spader, and Candace Bergen, the stars of Boston Legal. Candace is even up for a Golden Globe next Monday, but right now, we're taking you to the set with Michael J. Fox for his primetime return in this Insider First. Quick question before we start. Does the Make-A-Wish Foundation pay parking tickets for cancer victims? It's a TV moment many thought they'd never see, and fans prayed we would. Michael J. Fox's return to primetime. MJ Fox, how are you? Good. We're first on the set. Action, please. And first with clips. Question. Go. While Mike's been active behind the scenes doing animation voiceover work, you don't see this a lot. Tonight's Boston Legal is a rare on-camera gig since going public with his battle with Parkinson. How's your health? I felt pretty good. Yeah, it was a, this morning was a rough getting started, but uh, once I got started, I was fine. Feeling pretty good these days. How about we negotiate a song? How did you get the role? How did it come down? Well, there was a dance competition, a swimsuit competition, and I, I excelled in both of those. And then the bake-off, I brought it home. Fox plays a business tycoon battling lung cancer who takes romantic interest in star Julie Bowen, who's already gearing up to pucker up with Mike. Die dying of cancer? Is that the way you describe me? Rich guy dying of cancer. Even my husband was like two thumbs up, honey. I go for it. You do what you need to do. Because he's a hero. He's amazing. So is this the beginning of a major Fox comeback? Any chance of going into movies now after you've gotten back in front of the camera? I don't know. You know, I just really wanted to uh, try it again and, and act again. And it's just, I just had an itch to do it. Ah, uh, it's great to see Michael back on television. Better yet, to see him doing well and fighting the good fight for Parkinson's research. Way to go, MJ Fox. Pat O'Brien, that's right, that's who it was. Well, our celebrity parade doesn't stop there. As we mentioned before, Tom Selleck was on The View today. The View was celebrating its, what I think it was like its 2000th episode. Tom Selleck being the very first guest they ever had years and years ago, and he's back again. And you know, his appearance on Boston Legal is coming up, so it was worth catching just to see if he promoted the show. But I can't wait to see you because I heard a little birdie told me that you're going to be on one of my favorite shows, Boston Legal. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? So what are you going to play? I think the first one, they want me to do more now, so I'm thrilled. I I guess David Kelly wrote this part for me. He's this kind of level rogue who's Candace Bergen's ex-husband, and I've been after Candace for a long time. I mean, professionally speaking. (laughs) um, But uh, it's neat. A lot of shows write roles, especially for you. A lot of the sitcoms in the past and the movies. Yeah, I mean, it's it. it, uh, I hope it works out like Friends did, you know, because I'd like to come back. You and Candace would be great together, right? All kidding. Yes, Tom referred to his stint on Friends, which I think extended for nine or ten episodes, and so we hope that he'll be coming back to Boston Legal quite often. So I guess he's an attorney. He's been after Candace a long time, professionally speaking. He was also on, that was on February 2, and he was also a guest on Access Hollywood a few weeks ago, and he talked about, among other things, Boston Legal, of course, and we have even a quote from Denny Crane, William Shatner here. What is your recipe for success? Always wear men's underwear. 
<laughs> Good advice. He's handsome. He's a heck of an actor. And he dispenses marital advice. No wonder we're still in love with Tom Selleck 16 years after Magnum P.I. In February, Tom heads back to primetime with a guest spot on Boston Legal. And as I found out, he's bringing a case of nerves with him. You're the Weird. new kid on the block. I'm very new. So I was a little nervous. Might be shaking a little Are bit. Are you shaking? It's been five years since Tom Selleck played Monica's boyfriend on Friends, so the man's entitled to a few TV jitters. Be my key best man. <laughs> Selleck is Ivan, an adorable rogue who just happens to be Candace Bergen's ex-husband. It's not for nothing that women that I never knew were on this lot are suddenly buzzing around the set. Everyone's flocking to get a look. <laughs> Everyone's so jealous of me. I love it. Ivan? Take me back, Shirley. That's all I ask. Okay, we need to talk about yeah. the mustache and the goatee. Turns out Tom grew the additional whiskers for the latest installment of Stone Cold, his new CBS movie. So you had to grow out the goatee for that? Yeah. Uh, he has this goofy look, you know. He doesn't... He, he, I don't know he what's drinks goofy a little about too much any and... of that look going on right here. There's well, nothing goofy here. Thank you. <laughs> Even Tom's friend and co-star William Shatner agrees. Those guys, those handsome, tall, handsome, leading goatee is the thing they scratch it. Women love it. Shiner pulling on his suspenders when he's making that quote. That's really good. Uh, moving away from interviews and for the guest guest stars coming up, we uh, have had the, oh, this is great. We had this clip from Mad TV from November up on our site for, yeah, maybe it's been a month by now. They did a parody, as they do, on um, different shows for Boston Legal. And they had some of their cast play um, the Denny Crane part, Alan Shore, and the Shirley Schmidt part. This is just a tiny little bit of a longer skit, but, uh, you know, so this is these are people impersonating those characters as they're filming. So now they're talking as Spader, Shatner, and Bergen playing those people. So you get the gist. Excellent. Moving on. Uh, can we try that again? Sure, Bill, but I thought you were great. I was. But I have a little note for Candy. Candy, for the tater tape between you and Jimmy, try this. Mr. Shaw, may I remind you that I could have you fired at any moment? See, that's sexy. Jimmy, don't play it so... gay. I'm not playing it gay. I'm playing it urbane and nonchalant. See what you did right there? Much less gay. Let's try it again. Come on! Wait a damn minute. I'm not taking direction from friggin' Captain Kirk. You're not? You're taking it from William Shatner? Two-time Emmy. Hey, pal, you're not the only one with two Emmys. But you got those for playing gay. It's like playing retarded. It's an instant Emmy! Oh, Shatner, I have one... Two, three, four, five Emmys from Murphy Brown. Oh, and what's this up my skirt? A blockbuster award for Miss Convenient. Watch the four-minute video over at boston-legal.org. That was uh, who played Candace Bergen. That was Nicole Parker. And the great Michael McDonald was Spader. And uh, Shatner was, oh, man. Right dead on, I think, and I don't mean that as an offensive thing, is Frank Caliando, 
played William Shatner on that clip. Now, uh, you may call us a little bit crazy because we're going to play you a couple of commercials. But no, we're not selling you anything. We did this a month or so ago when Acura started airing the James Spader voiced over commercials for their cars. And I, I think there was like six, seven, eight of them out there. And you just never know when they're going to be on. So we played, caught a couple of them and played them a few months ago. Caught a couple more just recently. I think one of them was on Meet the Press. So, hey, you know, I was watching Meet the Press at just the right time. Here's one of them. You, you don't get his part until the very end of the commercial. It's 30-second commercial. Um, so you get basically a lot of music. But, yeah, it's pleasant music. you're going to go buy the TSX. Anyway, this is um, this next one is I've shortened it a little bit, not so much music, and it's uh, basically a generic Acura. Buy anyone you want. Seize the digital day. Computer-enhanced, satellite-linked Acura. Always advancing. So I hope you all enjoyed those wonderful little uh, newsy sound bites that we had from to kind of catch up for the last several weeks that we haven't been doing a podcast. Definitely tell a friend about Boston Legal Tuesdays. It's on at 10 o'clock. Watch Breston's show on February 7. Um, as we get ready to dance on out of here, good Kyle and I, I'm going to play a little you can hear right now, a mambo. That's a, a gazar con mi combo. Do, do you know Spanish? Can you say that? Um, yeah, I have it written, but yes, I do know a little bit of Spanish. Okay. <laughs> That's the title. That is the mambo that they played in uh, Helping Hands that we saw Denny and Alan uh, dancing. And it's right. by the Cachoa Combo. It's um, It was in, that song was in uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. And there's also in that video game Grand Theft Auto Vice City. So it's a Cuban band. They're actually widely, widely credited with inventing the mambo. Wow. Uh, as we uh, leave listening to that, I want to thank you so much for being back. I hope you had a nice little break, Kyle. I had a nice break, but it's definitely good to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, I can't do this without you. Uh, thank- I'm flattered. <laughs> Thanks to every one of you listening. Thank you for listening to us. We're doing it for you. We spend all these hours to um, make you happy as you listen to this on your bus to school or your work desk and workstation. So thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Boston Illegal is brought to you by Forest Rain Studios and the unofficial website of boston-legal.org. And until next time, Kyle, you're a natural. Hey, anything Danny Crane could do, I could do backwards and wearing high heels. There you are. Hardly seen you this episode. It saddens me. Hello, Denny. Do you still remember who I am? Or did I leak out your wiffle ball brain? Do you know who I am? I am Denny Crane's fiance. Yeah? So? No chopping off fingers. No violence of any kind. None. I promise. 
Mr. Shore. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, by the way, you need to renew your car registration. But congratulations on your colonoscopy. 